The Emperor's New Clothes, The Little Mermaid, The Little Match Girl, or how about The Steadfast Tin Soldier? If that rang any bells, then you're probably a fan of Danish writer and poet Hans Christian Andersen. In China, as in many other parts of the world, most children grow up listening to Andersen's fairy tales. His enchanting storytelling has influenced generations of writers of children's literature. How did a Danish writer become a household name in an oriental country? What did he bring to China's literary circle? Also, how have his works shaped Chinese people's perception of the West? These are the questions that most readers probably have never really thought about. When I read The Little Match Girl in its original language, I found that the story left me with a very different impression from what I'd read back at school in China. The way the teacher approached and explained the story was also different. Naturally, I felt curious. As a student who majored in language and literature, I wanted to understand why there was such a discrepancy. Li Wenjie is a professor of comparative literature at Beijing Normal University. Back in the 2010s, she lived in Denmark for a few years and discovered her interest in the country's literature giant. Since then, she's been dedicating herself to tracing Hans Christian Andersen's footprints to China. Chinese scholars have studied Anderson for years, but they approached his works as an integral part of China's literature world. The existing researches at the time didn't look into what happened on the road, but focused more on what happened after his works arrived in China. So my researches are complementary to the existing studies of Anderson. You have to understand how the writer was introduced to the nation before you can explain his representation here in China. In 2017, Li was awarded the Hans Christian Andersen Award for her pioneering research into the tradition of Hans Christian Andersen in China. Established in 1996, the award has been presented to significant individuals who've made outstanding contributions to the understanding and promotion of the great Danish writer. By studying Andersen, Li also reflected on how to better introduce Chinese literature, especially children's literature, to the world. I used to tell my fellow researchers in Denmark that there are many good Chinese fairy tales like The Strange Tales of Liao Jai and The Journey to the West, but they told me they didn't know much. I then thought if our Chinese writers could recreate the traditional fantasy stories, many foreign readers would be interested. I also think foreign readers will want to read stories that reflect the real life of today's Chinese children. In this episode of Footprints, we talk to the Chinese scholar who has been dedicated to the study of cross-cultural literature and the promotion of Chinese literature. Stay tuned and we'll continue after the break. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. Li Wenjie was originally a scholar of English literature. Before living in Denmark, she only knew it as a Scandinavian country with a cold climate and beautiful scenery. In 2010, 
Lee's husband was dispatched to Denmark for work. She moved with him and started exploring the country and its culture. As a language major, I'm rather anxious when I move to an unfamiliar country without knowing its language. I wanted to understand the country's culture through learning its language, so I went to a local language school. At the language school, she started to learn the Danish language from scratch. As she slowly began to understand the alphabets and grasp the language, she came upon Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales. When I read The Little Match Girl in its original language, I found that the story left me with a very different impression from what I'd read back at school in China. The way the teacher approached and explained the story was also different. Naturally, I felt curious. As a student who majored in language and literature, I wanted to understand why there was such a discrepancy. She then started to frequent local libraries and read all kinds of research about the writer. She soon realized that the great Danish writer was not just a master of children's literature, as many Chinese readers perceive. He didn't want other people to see him as an author writing for children. As a matter of fact, he only wrote a total of 19 fairy tales at the early stage of his career. He wanted to be a mainstream poet and a writer of serious literature. He got into writing fairy tales because he was undervalued by Denmark's literary circle at the time and his financial condition was harsh. It was a surprise to him that these stories for children became so successful and popular. This different side of Anderson was fascinating to Lee. She realized that the writer was not just writing entertaining stories for children, he was using the genre as an experimental field to express his own thoughts and ideas. Before living in Denmark, my impression of Anderson was a grandfatherly figure who was good at telling stories to children. But when I started studying him via his biographies, letters, and travel logs, I found out he was actually a very modern and avant-garde writer who became famous at a young age. He was nowhere near what I thought of him. He was such a genuine, interesting, sensitive, and somewhat childish human being. Lee never knew that Anderson was a globetrotter and a good self-promoter. After reading his writings, she learned that Anderson had traveled to every corner in Europe to meet up with local writers to promote his works. She was also surprised to find out that Anderson was a techno nerd who foresaw the technology boom in the 20th century. As she learned more and more about the different facets of the writer, she started to focus on how his works came to China. His works were not directly brought to China as Danish literature. When I reviewed how Anderson's stories were translated and introduced to China, I discovered that it was a complicated process. They were translated mostly from English and partially from Japanese and German. Her focus then shifted to the process of the translation and introduction of Anderson's works to China. Chinese scholars have studied Anderson for years, but they approached his works as an integral part of China's literature world. 
The existing researches at the time didn't look into what happened on the road, but focused more on what happened after his works arrived in China. So my researches are complementary to the existing studies of Anderson. You have to understand how the writer was introduced to the nation before you can explain his representation here in China. But how exactly did Anderson's works find their way into the country? What did the Danish writer bring to China, which has a sharply different cultural tradition compared with his homeland? Let's find out after the break. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. According to Li's research, Anderson's works were first translated to classical Chinese in the beginning of the 20th century. It was the renowned Chinese writer Lu Xun who helped publish Anderson's stories. The early years of the 20th century was a time when progressive Chinese thinkers and writers were passionate about introducing all kinds of foreign literature to China. By the 1930s, Anderson's fairy tales appeared in almost every school textbook. I reviewed many literature textbooks for Chinese children back in the 1930s. All formal textbooks included Anderson. It seemed that whenever people talked about children's literature, they would inevitably mention Anderson. To some extent, this correlation framed Anderson as an author of children's literature. As to why his works became so popular in China, Li has her own explanations. I think Anderson was lucky. His works arrived in China with good timing. It was during the time when China tried to enlighten itself with good literature. Also, children's literature was rare back then, which made the promotion quite easy. Not to mention that the people who promoted his works were important figures in China's literary circles. Since Anderson first ascended to mainstream popularity in China, various scholars, writers, and translators have further studied and promoted his works. In the 1950s, Chinese translator and writer of children's literature Ye Junjian first published a complete series of Anderson's fairy tales. Later, in the 1970s, Lin Hua, one of China's former diplomats to Denmark, translated the most inclusive compilation of Anderson's works directly from Danish to Chinese. Female translator Shi Qin E's latest translation of Anderson's works was the most modern version. Both Lin and Shi were awarded the Hans Christian Andersen Award prior to Li. After Anderson was introduced to China, generations of Chinese writers were influenced by his unique writing styles and techniques. Nowadays, when people decided to create children's literature, they naturally think they need to read Anderson's works. This continues to prove how influential he is. When asked about her favorite Anderson story, Lee picked The Shadow. The story is about an unknown writer whose shadow overtakes its owner and rises to fame. 
。安徒生对于不管是中国的读者还是全世界的其他地方的读者，呃，他的文学声明被遮蔽的。To Chinese and worldwide readers, the real Anderson was overshadowed. His reputation as an author of children's literature is just like the shadow that overrides the true Anderson. That's why I like this story. He went through a lot, but strangely, he never bothered to explain. He did complain about it in his diaries, though. I found it very fascinating. Through studying Anderson and his works, Lee also developed an interest in cross-cultural communications and the introduction of Chinese literature to the world. After the break, she'll share with us some of her keen observations and understanding. Stay tuned. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say "I love you," since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我是中文一点点。Or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了，我是本地人。There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 While studying Anderson in Denmark. Lee noticed how the Danish perceive the literature giant differently. It's rare to find a Danish who reads every fairy tale written by Andersen. He's now more like a cultural symbol. Parents would buy a set of Andersen stories for their children as Christmas or birthday gifts. In school textbooks, however, you will find more poems written by Andersen. Most Danish people perceive Andersen as a poet. They read more of his poems and plays. In cross-cultural communications, discrepancies in perceptions are often seen as obstacles. Lee, however, believed discrepancies in stereotypes could actually be positive. It takes a process for a foreign culture to reach a new destination. Discrepancies may exist when they first come into contact with a new culture, but they can prepare us to further understand it. When many sinologists first studied Chinese culture, many were exposed to stereotypes. But because of their curiosity, they will want to know if these stereotypes were true. They will come to China and see for themselves. The wrong impressions were then erased. When Li was doing research in Denmark, she found that her fellow Danish colleagues knew little about Chinese fairy tales. There were children's books about China, but they were mostly written by local authors. 当时跟我周围的同事跟他们谈起来，我说：“哎呀，我们中国其实有一些故事，其实也很好看的。” I used to tell my fellow researchers in Denmark that there are many good Chinese fairy tales, like the strange tales of Liao Jai and the Journey to the West, but they told me they didn't know much. I then thought, if our Chinese writers could recreate the traditional fantasy stories, many foreign readers would be interested. I also think foreign readers will want to read stories that reflect the real life of today's Chinese children. This lack of understanding about China, Li noticed, has compelled her to work with Chinese publishers to promote Chinese culture, especially Chinese children's literature, to the world. She believes, with good approaches. Chinese culture would be accepted and welcomed by more foreign readers. Our books must become more diversified. We need to show foreign readers that we create literature works in all genres, including thrillers and fantasy novels. 
We shouldn't give people the impression that we only have classical works or books written about village life and peasants. We have modern novels as well. When promoting, we should use omens like the Beijing International Book Fair and social media platforms. While some worry about the mass commercialization of children's books, Lee believes it could be utilized as good stimuli for creation. 只要说不是完全以挣钱为目的，我觉得商业化本身不是问题。As long as the purpose of commercialization is not purely about money, I don't see a problem here. If more capital is poured into discovering authors with potentials and offering them creative freedom, it's even better. Anderson kept close relationships with his publishers in the UK, so I think commercialization is not the problem. What matters is that the market needs to know where the right line is. She thinks China should also involve non-profit organizations in supporting the publishing industry. So that more authors and scholars could have the freedom to create and promote Chinese literature, she also points out that schools and parents should play more important roles in promoting reading. She believes Chinese children will have more time and opportunities to read more and better books in the coming decades. From her observation, school teachers in China need to improve their own teaching and reading capabilities in order to create more personalized reading experiences for school children. Every child reads books with different angles and interests. Teachers need to pay meticulous attention to genres that are suitable to certain children. We need to personalize book recommendations according to the interests of the children. As for parents, Lee asked them to start reading themselves. My suggestion to all parents is to start reading. Only parents who read profusely know the joy of reading and can thus influence their children. When reading to their children, parents are not supervisors but companions. They need to read the books with their children and communicate with them. Some parents tend to ask questions and demand their children to make sense of the book. That's not important at all. Reading should not be a chore, but an enjoyable lifelong habit. She says Anderson's fairy tales are suitable for both adults and children because the stories don't always end with happily ever after. They reveal the vicissitudes of life and society, and adults know better that life is not perfect. Children may have a hard time understanding the complex emotions and life lessons, but the stories can provoke them to think. In her spare time. Lee would read Anderson with her seven-year-old son. She shares a fun episode with us. My son didn't understand the Little Mermaid. He didn't like the story because it was too sad. But of course, books are not just for entertainment and fun. After reading the story, he started to ponder why the Little Mermaid sacrificed her life. Initially, he said the Little Mermaid should leave the prince and the crowd. But a few days later, he came to me again and told me the girl must be sacrificing for herself. He said she wanted to have a true soul. Lee describes herself as a detective when it comes to the study of Anderson. Her investigation is still ongoing. In the future, she plans to look into Anderson's travel logs. 西方的学者说，他的游记实际上跟他的童话联系特别紧密。Many Western scholars have found that Anderson's travel logs are closely associated with his fairy tales. 
The author constantly talked about his travels in his diaries. He's a real cosmopolitan. Meanwhile, she's been working with the China National Publications Import and Export Corporation to introduce and curate Chinese literature to the world. Publishers have the capital, the marketing channels, and rich experiences, but they may also need support from scholars and experts. People tend to think scholars live in ivory towers, but many of us do care about the real world. Authors, publishers, and scholars share the same goal: that is to promote good books. So we need to work together. And with that, we conclude this episode of Footprints. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to our reporter Wang Chuan. From our program producer Yin Shouqi, this is Tony Reed. If you're interested in hearing more about the lives of ordinary people in China, follow us on Apple Podcasts. Just key in "footprints," and you can find more stories anytime, anywhere. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.